Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. And once again, we are broadcasting this episode from our home here in the Gunnison Valley of Colorado, and you should start making plans to come ride our vast network of trails here in Gunnison and Crested Butte. Okay, the other day I talked with our bike editor, David Golay, about some of the gear he's recently been testing, and then we start talking about some of the most surprising products of this past year, some of the standout products of 2020, and then we wrap up with a few of David's predictions for 2021. So that is what we have on tap for you today, and here we go. Well, David Golay, first of all, Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year to you, too. I'm glad we've escaped the year of Ellsworth. That was good. <laughs> God damn it. You brought it upon yourself. Worst branding move of all time. Just just goes to show why one should never name a year after oneself. It can only, it can only turn out badly is what I've learned. So, uh... Yeah. If people don't know what we're talking about, maybe you should go listen to... We talk a bit about the year of Ellsworth on our last Gear 30 episode. I think we actually published it on January 1st of this year. I made some claims early on in 2020 that I, I don't feel good about. <laughs> it's funny, so, too. I was excited about it at the time, but hindsight 2020, it's not looking good. Yeah, no. I once again I'll just take this opportunity to apologize to the world. So, yeah. Anyway, on to happier topics. Basically what we are, you know, doing here today is just running back effectively a version of the conversation that I did have with Luke Kappa on that last Gear 30 episode. But here we want to approach some of these questions from, you know, the bike side of things. And so that is our objective today. So why don't we start by having you tell us a bit about some of the products that you have been spending time on pretty recently? Yeah. So to start off, talk about a complete bike. I've been spending some time recently on the Canyon Stoic, which they just released about a month ago, and it'll be available early this year. It's Canyon's relatively new trail hardtail that they're aiming at a relatively low price point. I'm testing the Stoic 4, which is the top spec model, but even that is only $1,800 complete. And the short version is that they've done a really impressive job of putting together a very good, very functional bike for not a whole lot of money. There's nothing flashy about it. It's an aluminum frame. And the four that I'm on comes with a full SRAM NX drivetrain along with guide T brakes. So it's got four piston brakes. It has a RockShox Pike Select, which is perfectly solid fork. It's not the high-end bells and whistles ultimate or anything, but it, it's a good fork. It's got Canyon's house brand dropper post. They didn't even cheap out on stuff like the tires. It's got Schwab 
Magic Mary front and a Hans Dampf in the rear with the relatively soft attic soft compound. So a common move on bikes in this kind of price range is that they'll put on a cheaper, super hard rubber tire that doesn't really work. And Canon hasn't done that. They're real tires. It's a really good bike for well under $2,000. And one of the other things that's really notable and cool about it is that they're offering it in six sizes down to a double extra small. So it's a particularly good option for very, very short adults or particularly for the kind of segment and price point that it's at. It's a viable option for a lot of maybe early teenagers or something who are still growing and want a good, real solid mountain bike, but aren't trying to spend a huge amount of money on it and just need something in a smaller size than a lot of adult mountain bikes are offered in. And then to go with that, they've done another clever thing, which is that the medium through extra large sizes are a 29er, but then the extra small, double extra small and small sizes are 27.5 wheels, which I think makes a ton of sense because just smaller people aren't as tall, obviously. And then you have, you put people that size on a 29er and the bars are super high because you have the taller fork and taller front wheel up front and they've got shorter legs. There's not room to move around on the bike and get back behind the seat without just buzzing the rear tire. And so it's a super sensible decision that they've done with it. The 29-inch wheel sizes get a 140-millimeter travel fork, whereas the 27.5 ones get a 150, just because I guess there's a little bit more real estate to work with with the smaller front wheel and shorter overall fork, given the wheel size. And it's great. I'm super impressed with it. And, you know, I spend a lot of time riding bikes where the frame alone costs more than the $1,800 that this complete bike does. But it's just really well thought out. And for 1800 bucks, they've got a bike that doesn't have any really obvious, horrendous cost cutting measures where it's like, oh, they just cheaped out on this part and you need to replace X, Y, and Z immediately. It's a good functional, sweet mountain bike right out of the box. Interesting. Certainly one of the things we've seen recently is like shorter travel mountain bikes that are still fairly slack and not that this is anything like brand new or earth-shaking but it does seem like some companies are like hmm as we're dialing in geometry and the rest let's maybe see how little suspension we can get away with and still come up with a bike that rides really well and is you know relatively capable is the stoic play in that game or is this is this stoic a true like XC bike? No, it, the Stoic's definitely more kind of a trail middle of the road and geometry kind of situation. Both the 27.5 and 29er sizes have a 65 degree head angle across the board. And um, I'm riding a size large, so it's in the 29er realm. That has a 480 millimeter reach. The C tube angle is, I think, 75 degrees. And it's the 29er has 428 millimeter chainstays, which are kind of middle of the road. The 27.5 ones are down to 418, which is getting onto the short side. So it's not super crazy aggressive, but it's definitely not a super twitchy, steep, short XC bike either. 
and it's just a kind of good middle of the road set of geometry numbers that are not wildly aggressive, but plenty capable and a solid all-rounder. Very interesting. What else you been up to? We talked about this a little bit on an episode a few weeks ago, and then you talked about it with Noah also. Noah and I are working on a big enduro fork roundup that I was planning to have published by now, but then Olin's came into the mix. And uh, actually, just today, I got, after some shipping snafus, the RXF36 Air fork from them and the TTX22 rear shock that I'll be testing alongside of it. Once we get off the call, I'll go get those mounted up and should get out on them tomorrow. So getting that tested, excited to try those out. And then we'll have this big enduro fork roundup with six or seven different forks in it that we'll have out pretty soon. Excellent. So you're still stringing us along basically and promising us pretty soon. Yeah. I mean, is that's really all I heard you that's say. That's accurate, but <laughs> okay. there's a good reason for it. it. It's to get another fork in there. It's not just because we're being lazy. If you just keep, you know, be like, ah, there's another fork we could add. This this guide might come out in, you know, <laughs> the early 2030s. Yeah, it's possible. We can see how many more we can keep adding to it. If it makes you feel any better, I have actually written a lot of it, but then Owen showed up. Okay. Um, well, we do look forward to seeing this particular roundup. So, you know, get to get to writing. I will. Okay. Let's now talk about a couple questions about 2020 products. What was the most surprising product that you spent time with in the bike world of this past glorious year that we just ended? Yeah. So in the end of the prior decade roundup that you and I did with Noah at the beginning of last year, uh, one of the things that I think I called out as being one of the areas where the bike world has the most room for improvement is brakes. And then uh, subsequently last year, I got to spend a bunch of time on the Hayes Dominion A4s, which are my call for the most surprising product here. Hayes was a super early pioneer in hydraulic disc brakes for mountain bikes. And the HFX nines and HFX mags were ubiquitous kind of turn of the millennium, basically. But then they had some pretty ugly misses with some of the products that they rolled out to follow those up. And then just their market share fell off a cliff, basically, and then actually stopped making mountain bike brakes altogether for a little bit. And the Dominion A4 was their return to the mountain bike space for brakes. And I didn't really know what to expect from it. I they hadn't had anything out in that space in some years. Their last couple of products had kind of been duds. And the Dominion A4s are outstanding. And I think probably my favorite kind of big, burly four-piston brake for enduro and DH bikes that are on the market right now. The full review of those is up on the site. And you can check out what I said more there. But they're powerful. They've been absolutely dead consistent and reliable, which is one of the areas where a lot of the options that have been on the market, especially Shimano's offerings, frankly, have fallen kind of short. And the lever feels great. They've done a pretty good job of managing heat. I really have just no complaints about them. They're outstanding. Okay. From most surprising 
Let's go to one or two of the biggest standout products of the past year, in your opinion. Yeah, so obviously the Dominion brakes kind of bleed over into there because they're also excellent. But I actually have a second product from the Hayes Group to call out the Manitou Mezzer Pro. And it's especially impressive given that there were a couple of really big releases in the long travel Enduro single crown market this year from Fox with the 38 and RockShox with the Zeb, both of which I've spent quite a bit of time on as well. But the Mezzer Pro is definitely the most sort of standout in that space in a particular direction, at least, which is to say that it has really, truly outstanding mid-stroke support and is just one of the easiest forks, really the easiest fork that I've ever ridden to get feeling super supportive through the mid-stroke without being wildly compromised anywhere else. It still has pretty good small bump sensitivity. You can make it supportive without having it ramp up wildly at the end of the stroke and just not be able to use all the travel. The chassis is good. It's not the absolute stiffest single crown out there. That, at least amongst the stuff I've ridden, is definitely the Zeb. But it's pretty damn stiff, especially given that it's a lot lighter than either the 38 or the Zeb. And if you're looking for a very supportive fork, which is kind of best suited for people who are riding a lot of steep terrain in particular, probably more aggressive riders in general, it is. It really stands out in that it has this very specific attribute where it is outstanding and shines really strongly, head and shoulders above everything else I've tried. Now, the little bit of a caveat I'm going to throw in there is that I think a big part of what it does so, or what makes it do so well on that midstroke support front, is the rather unconventional air spring design that it has going on, where there are two separate positive air chambers, one stacked on top of the other. And the idea is that the first one's, the main one is run at lower pressure with the second upper one at higher pressure. And the fork ramps up more aggressively through the mid stroke because that first lower pressure chamber builds up until the point where the pressure between the two is equal. And then the second chamber comes into play, thereby making the overall air volume bigger and making it ramp up more slowly after that. And the Olin's RXF36 that I just mentioned showed up today uses a very similar air spring design. And uh, I'm super curious to see if it stacks up favorably to the measure on that front. Interesting. Okay. I'm going to give you the opportunity to talk about one other standout. So of the complete bikes that I rode this year, pretty easily to stand out for me is the Gorilla Gravity Smash. And I rode all three of Gorilla Gravity's current 29ers this year, the Trail Pistol, the short travel 120 millimeter travel bike, the Smash, which is their 145 millimeter travel kind of longer travel trail enduro bike, and then also the 160 millimeter travel Narvana, their biggest, burliest enduro bike in that space. And they're all good bikes. They're all oriented a little bit more on the aggressive side of things for the kind of travel classes that they occupy. 
But the smash in particular really stood out for being just a really remarkably versatile bike that does a huge number of things quite well. Whereas both the Trail Pistol and the Narvada and most other bikes, frankly, feel like they have more of a specialty that they maybe they do two things really well or three things really well, but the smash just is really stand out for its versatility and how rarely it felt out of place and awkward and like it wasn't working for kind of whatever I happened to throw at it. And it's kind of a rare thing. And that versatility is both super impressive and has just made it a super easy bike to recommend to quite a few people who are looking for 29er. I think the Smash is almost certainly the bike that I've wound up recommending most often to this year to Blister members who are writing and asking about looking for a new bike. It does so many things well that it's easy to recommend for a lot of people. Gorilla Gravity, good job with the Smash. Yeah, it's sweet. Let's turn then away from last year and look forward to this year. Do you have one or two predictions for 2021? Yeah. So this is a little bit of a carryover from 2020, unfortunately, but I think that a lot of the issues that we saw in 2020 with bike supply chains being disrupted and availability of certain bikes and parts being limited is unfortunately going to continue for a bit. I hoped that we'd kind of have the winter season with demand slowing down to allow companies to catch back up on all of the, well, both the time that they'd missed in production due to COVID shutdowns and shipping issues and all of those sorts of things that cropped up along with the big spike in bike demand that we saw over the summer. But uh, from what I'm hearing from talking to a lot of people, things are just still really backed up and a lot of parts and a lot of bikes are a very long way out right now due to certain bits and pieces just not being as available as we'd hoped for. So I think we are unfortunately not out of the woods on that yet. And some of those kind of same supply chain issues are going to persist into 2021. Boy, I really, I guess I maybe should have seen that coming, but I really kind of thought we were just weathering this past summer, you know, and fall in terms of scarcity of bikes. But you're saying we ought to maybe brace ourselves for a continued scarcity problem. Yeah, I think that's where we're at, unfortunately. Well, I guess if there's a takeaway from that, then it's like, if anybody is looking for a new ride or still trying to get a new bike, might be time to start looking now. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's like, doesn't seem like it's the time to like, oh, I'll just think about bikes come April and then probably just go find a whole bunch of options. It's like, you you maybe should start digging around and and just sort of be on the lookout starting right now. Yeah, I think it's time to get after it if you're hoping for a new bike this year. Well, do you have like another prediction that maybe is less, I don't know, stress-inducing? Well, I guess if we're going for a, a less doom and gloom prediction, this is 
maybe a little bit equal parts hope and prediction, but I do think that, that we've, it looks like we are hopefully fingers crossed turning a corner with getting vaccines rolled out and whatnot. And I'm just hoping to see, and I think there's a pretty good shot of it, a more regular race calendar come 2021 season and just really looking forward to seeing World Cup racing back and the EWS back. And I'm cautiously optimistic that that's going to happen in a more normal way than it did last year. And I'm pretty excited for that. I like that. That's a good one. Well done, David. We should definitely end this before you say something that depresses me again. But I, I kind of am with you. Like, but one, I'm both hopeful. And two, I, I would actually, I would wager that you're right. Like more races will be back and we'll, we'll have an easier time of the race season. Man, all the fingers are crossed on that. Yeah. Well, good. Well, listen, I think that was a good synopsis and a good bit of forecasting on your end. On that note, Happy New Year. Let's just hope that we make 2021 just a bit better than this last one. Yeah. Happy New Year to you too. And uh, can only hope that we don't manage to outsuck 2020. Yeah. Maybe 2021 will be the year of Golay. No, no, we're not. No. We're not going there. Let's, let's not do this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. No, I know that I feel bad. I don't want that on my head after the year of Ellsworth. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Well, hey, man, appreciate the thoughts and we'll talk to you real soon. Yeah. Talk to you soon, Jonathan. Well, that's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. Thanks to David for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again tomorrow over on our Gear 30 podcast feed. So we'll catch you over there.